Well, thank you very much, Daryl, for that prayer. And wow, great singing this morning. And then Daryl's prayer. And I just feel that sense of worship and exaltation of Christ among us. And let us continue with that as we open up God's word this morning. And I would invite you to, sh- to turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, uh, to John chapter 10. And this morning we're going to look at verses 22 through 30. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles underneath the uh, chairs in front of you, or should be some Bibles there. And if you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, and uh, you take one of those Bibles, we'd invite you to take that with you. You can keep that. Uh, We would love for you to have the Word of God. Well, I am back in the Gospel of John after a long break. The last sermon I preached out of the Gospel of John was back in May. So it's been a while, and I was on sabbatical for the summer, and then the last two weeks I shared with you what God taught me during my sabbatical, and now we return to the Gospel of John. And just a very quick refresher on where we were at in chapter 9, I shared a number of sermons, Jesus Heals, a man who had been blind from birth. He performs this great miracle. It causes a lot of anger on the part of the Jewish religious leaders, both toward Jesus and toward that man. Then we come to chapter 10, and Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Whoever comes to me will be saved. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And Jesus has become both a wonderful and controversial figure among the Jewish people. There was division among them about who he was and what he was saying. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. How? How can a man open the eyes of the blind if he has a demon? And that brings us to verses 22 through 30. And we read, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, our first point this morning is the Feast of Dedication. At the time of the Feast of Dedication, Jesus has his last major confrontation with the Jewish religious leaders. And I want you to know that something important is happening here. We will see it today. We will look at it also next week as we end chapter 10. But Jesus is ending his public ministry. There is a transition that is about to take place at the end of chapter 10. He is going to go from his public ministry 
to speaking primarily with his followers, especially his closest followers, the disciples, and then he will make his journey to the cross. And so here we have one of the last confrontations of Jesus with the Jewish religious leaders besides what takes place immediately before the cross. In verse 22, it says, At that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Now what is the Feast of Dedication? The Feast of Dedication was very important to the Jewish people, even though the Feast of Dedication is not found in the Bible. It is not found in the Old Testament, but nonetheless, it was still a very important feast for the Jewish people and is down to today. Between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there were what is known as 400 silent years. The Feast of Dedication took place during those 400 silent years. In around 175 BC, a Syrian king arose whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a very evil man, a very arrogant man, and like some rulers throughout history, he despised the Jewish people. Antiochus Epiphanes wanted to do away with Judaism. And so he seeks to do away with Judaism because he wanted everything replaced with the Greek culture. But after a number of years, he found that he was getting no, nowhere. And so in 170, he reigned from 175 to 164 BC. And in 170 BC, it's like everything erupted. He became frustrated with the Jewish people. And so he has 80,000. 80,000 Jews killed and then he has another 80 to 100,000 Jewish people enslaved. Then Antiochus Epiphanes, and this is very important, goes to Jerusalem. He takes over Jerusalem and he desecrates the temple in Jerusalem. He makes it a den of prostitutes. He puts up an altar to Zeus so people can come there and worship false gods and so he, this is a very difficult time of hardship and suffering for the Jewish people and then in about 165 164 BC there is a great Jewish military leader who rises up and develops an army to take on Antiochus Epiphanes his name was Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus gathers these brave men around him. And by the way, Judas Maccabeus to this day, to this day, is considered to be one of the greatest military leaders in Israel's history. So he gets this group together. They go to Jerusalem. They defeat Antiochus Epiphanes and his army. They cleanse the temple. They restore temple worship. And they give God all the praise and credit for returning proper worship to the temple in Jerusalem. And, and Judas Maccabeus says, from this day forward, we must never forget 
the great victory that God has given us. Every year, let us light lights to remember the great victory that God has given us. Now, you are very familiar with this feast because it is celebrated down to this day, but today it is called Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a remembrance and celebration of the great victory won by Judas Maccabeus and his soldiers to whom they give all the credit to God. And the celebration takes place in the month of Kislev. The month of Kislev on the Jewish calendar corresponds very closely with our month of December. And therefore, as many of you know, Hanukkah and Christmas are celebrated very closely with each other down to today. But in the first century, when Jesus is in the temple, it wasn't called Hanukkah. It was called the Feast of Dedication. And as Jesus is walking in the temple, the Jewish religious leaders continue to question Jesus about his true identity. Notice at the end of verse 22, it says it was winter. And it literally was winter. It was probably cold. It was probably rainy. But one writer said there may be something symbolic about that little sentence, it was winter. And I don't want to press this too far. But for the Jewish religious leaders, it was winter. Jesus had given them opportunity after opportunity to embrace him as Messiah, to embrace him as the Christ, and they keep rejecting and rebelling against his message. And it's as if time is fading away. Time is running out for them. Soon his public ministry will end, and it was winter. And it says, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. The colonnade of Solomon had a roof over it, was partially enclosed, it had large columns, why it was called the colonnade of Solomon. Interesting kind of side note, it is believed to be the only portion of the original temple that was saved and ultimately restored and added to the other temples that are now in the temple of Herod or what it was called, the Jewish temple at this time. But that's where Jesus is at. And because it's winter, there was some enclosure there, and that's where he has this confrontation again. And in verse 24, it says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, if you have been following on the, us in this study, or if you on your own have read through the Gospel of John or studied through the Gospel of John before, you know this is an amazing question. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, he's been doing that the whole time. If you go back to chapter 5 through chapter 10, all those chapters, time and time again, Jesus is telling them plainly that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. There's something very interesting here and good for us to note. When someone's heart becomes hardened, when someone refuses to believe, it doesn't matter how many times you tell them the truth, they will keep asking the question over and over again. You ever had that? 
either with a spiritual truth or just any subject, if they refuse to believe, it's like there's nothing you can tell them. But they keep asking you about it, and you keep giving the same answer, and they keep refusing to believe, and that's what's happening here. Jesus answered them. Watch this, verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe. I've told you, and I've told you, and I've told you. Just think with me, folks, those of you especially who have been part of this sermon series, how many times has he told them, I have come from the Father, I have come down from heaven, I and the Father are one. I have come to do the works of my Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I am the bread of light. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. He has repeatedly told them, but they do not believe. I told you, and you do not believe. He says at the end of verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. If you don't believe what I tell you, then believe why what I do. And folks, think of all of the great things. Let me name just a few that Jesus has done throughout the Gospel of John. He turned water into wine. We saw that at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus healed. He healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. He was instantaneously and miraculously healed. Do you remember we looked at the fact that Jesus healed the son of a government official from Capernaum? He said, come and heal my son. Come with me to Capernaum. And Jesus didn't even go. He just spoke the word. He wasn't even in the same location as the son. He just spoke the word and the son was healed. Jesus fed 5,000. He walked on the water. In chapter 9, he heals a man who was blind from birth. A great miracle. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Well, that leads us to our second point this morning, a glorious security. This leads right into what I want to share with you here. During this conversation, Jesus declares one of the most glorious and comforting truths in the entire Christian faith. We are going to look this morning at one of the greatest truths in all of our Christian faith. But before we get there, I just want you to notice. And again, in verse 25, Jesus says, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Now watch verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. I can tell you're not among my sheep. Because your hearts are not receptive. And they're not open. You see, Jesus' sheep are those who have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin. They are those who have seen clearly their desperate need for a Savior. And they have invited Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord. They have embraced Him as Savior and Lord. And He said, your hearts are hard. You refuse to believe. You give evidence over and again that you are not among my sheep. Verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they 
follow me. Wow. How do you know when someone is genuinely converted, when they're genuinely under the conviction of the Holy Spirit because they see clearly. They see clearly things they never have seen before. They see their sin, as I mentioned, and their need for a Savior, and they come to Jesus. They drink of the living water that we have seen in the Gospel of John. And I shared this with you before. It's as if they hear the voice of Jesus. Now, I don't mean they hear an audible voice, but they just sense that inner witness. You know what I'm talking about. They sense that inner witness of the Holy Spirit that everything that Jesus says about himself is true. And his death and resurrection is the only means by which I can be saved. I must come to him. In that sense, we hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. What beautiful words. I know them and they follow me. And that brings us to verse 28, which some consider perhaps the greatest verse in the Bible on this particular subject. Jesus says about his sheep, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There are three amazing promises there. Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life. Eternal life is both a quality of life and a quantity of life. When you come to Jesus, you immediately have eternal life. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory by means of the Holy Spirit. You belong to the Father. You are adopted into the family of God. You have been given abundant life. This is your eternal life. But it's not only a quality of life that begins immediately. It is also a quantity of life. Eternal life means eternal life. It means you will live forever. Excuse me. I give them everlasting life. And they will never perish. Do you know what that means? It means they will never perish. That means every person who is genuinely born again, who is genuinely converted, will never, ever perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one means no one. No one can ever snatch you out of the hand of Christ. What beautiful promises. But then, he takes it in a sense, we could say even higher or even deeper. When he says in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. They can't snatch us out of the hand of Jesus. They can't snatch us out of the hand of the Father. We'll see that in just a minute because he and the Father are one. They can't snatch us out of the hand of either one of them. But notice the Father has given them. Every person who comes to know Jesus as Savior is a gift from the Father to the Son. We're going to see this again when we get to John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. 
where he talks about how the Father has given these precious followers to the Son. And no one, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Now this is not new. Jesus has made this statement repeatedly from John chapter 5 through John chapter 10, that he and the Father are in complete harmony together. They work together. He only does what the Father guides him and tells him to do. I and the Father are one. Now, we believe in the Trinity. So he's not saying we're interchangeable. Okay, sometimes I'm the Father, sometimes I'm the Son. That's not what he's saying. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, but they form one God. But Jesus is saying here in verse 30, he is God. He is fully God in every way. Now, this morning, I want us to meditate deeply on the beauty of our eternally secure salvation. It is amazing. If there is a parallel passage to John 10, 28 and 29, it has to be Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 35, and also verses 37 through 39. Many of you know it well. I believe personally that when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in Romans 8, toward the end of Romans 8, that he has John 10, 28 and 29 on his mind. In fact, I believe that Romans 8 is a beautiful, amazing, biblical commentary on John 10, 28 and 29. Romans 8, verse 35, and then verses 37 through 39. Watch how Paul specifically tells us what Jesus means. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, but I think he covers all the bases there. I think it would be hard to think of anything else that could separate us from the love of Christ, potentially. Now I know this morning, I know, and so do many of you, that the Bible's teaching on eternal security has been debated for hundreds of years. There are some Christians who believe that it is possible for a genuine believer, <clears throat> excuse me, to potentially lose their salvation. That they could so apostatize that they would lose the salvation they once had. Now personally, in my understanding of the Bible, I don't agree with them. I believe that if you are genuinely born again, you are eternally secure. That is the position of our church. 
And if you've ever read our church statement of faith, you know that we take a strong stand on this. But I do understand that I have dear brothers and sisters in the faith who think it is possible to potentially lose your salvation. And when they look at John 10, 28 and 29, their argument over the years has been, no one can snatch me from the Father's hand, but I can walk away from the Father. That's kind of been the argument. No one can snatch me from the Father's hand, but if I choose to, I can walk away from my salvation. Now, my position on that is if you walk away from your salvation, you were never saved in the first place. And that would be the position of our church. If someone totally apostatizes and walks away from the faith completely, they were never saved in the first place. I don't care how many Bible verses they memorized or how much theology they knew. John, John MacArthur touches on this. And he acknowledges that this argument, this point of view is out there. And he says this, and I think it's interesting. He says, if a genuinely born-again believer can totally walk away from the faith, listen carefully, he says then what Jesus says in verse 28 is not true. It can't be true. We have to say that what Jesus says in verse 28 isn't true because he says... Jesus says, I give them eternal life. Eternal life is eternal life. So if it could potentially end, then it's not eternal. I have kind of temporary life and only becomes eternal if I hold on to it. But that's not what he says. I give them eternal life. But then he says this. Jesus says they will never perish. They will never perish. John MacArthur says... If one genuine believer ever loses his or her salvation, then this is no longer true. Because Jesus said they will never perish. And he says, I know they say that no one can snatch me out of God's hand, but I could walk away. And he says, but in essence, you're saying that I can snatch myself out of God's hand. And I am claiming that I am more powerful than God. So it is an argument they have to be very, very careful with. It's potentially a very precarious and even dangerous argument. Now, I want to say clearly, I acknowledge I have some sincere, loving brothers and sisters in the faith who hold to that position, and I love them. I just lovingly disagree with them on that. And my point this morning, my focus this morning is not on this debate. I simply wanted to acknowledge it, but that's not my focus. My focus is wanting us to just cherish this truth, to meditate deeply, as I said, on the beauty of our eternally secure salvation. Indulge me, will you, this morning? Indulge me. I want us to read, or I want to read for you, verses 28 and 29, and would you just take them at face value? Don't debate them. Don't try to get around them. Just take them for me, just for a few minutes. Just take them literally, absolutely for what they say. Jesus says, I give them eternal 
life. I give my sheep eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. In the Baker New Testament commentary on John, they said, focus, focus on that phrase, no one is able to snatch. This no one, this no one must be permitted to stand in all its absoluteness. Now, this is not going to be on the screen. I just want to read this for you. And I agree. Let it stand. Let it stand in all of its absoluteness. Neither Satan, nor the clever false prophet, nor the powerful persecutor, nor anyone else shall be able to snatch any sheep of the flock out of the hand of the Father or the Son. Folks, that's a glorious truth. It's a glorious truth. And let me share something with you that goes along with this that has been so helpful to me over the years and perhaps will be helpful to you. When it comes to your salvation, you're not holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. I don't know about you, that makes me feel a whole lot better. My Christian life goes like this. I wish it didn't, but sometimes I'm up and sometimes I'm down. I'm glad it's not up to me. I'm glad it's up to him. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing that song, that Getty song, He Will Hold Me Fast. Great. It's like the perfect song for this passage. That often doesn't happen to a pastor, but this time it was the perfect song for this passage. And I knew we needed to close with this. But when you sing that song, it's got great theology. Listen, not only sing the words, but think carefully about what they're saying. Think very carefully about the words that you sing as we close. And let me close this message simply saying one more time. When it comes to our eternally secure salvation, this is one of the most glorious and comforting truths in the entire Christian faith. Your Savior said, I give you eternal life. You will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch you out of my hand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you with all of our hearts that no one can snatch us from Christ's hand and no one can snatch us from your hand. Thank you that because of Christ we have eternal life and we will never perish. We marvel the comfort and strength these promises give to us and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.